I'm Evan. And I'm Hannah. We're working together to make a sequel to our first role-playing game, Questlandia, and we're documenting that process in real time. Today, we're going to be talking about giving players control over the mechanics of the worlds they create. We're going to rapidly redesign one of our old games, Norlandia, from scratch. After that, we'll reflect on this process, and we'll see if any of the design ideas that we came up with could be incorporated into this new version of Questlandia. So, Noirlandia is a murder mystery game, and its central conceit is that you're playing on an actual corkboard and has rules for pinning up leads and tying them together, and you make a conspiracy board as you solve an actual mystery. Like Questlandia, which came before it, you're making up your own setting at the table, and so everybody's working together to design, in this case, a corrupt, horrible city. Mm-hmm. So when we were designing Norlandia, we were trying to bring the mechanics from the first Questlandia into a new setting, trying to stretch them and see if they could adapt. So Noirlandia is a noir murder mystery RPG. It was a follow-up to the original Questlandia, this time in a corrupt city that everybody's creating at the table. And we track our progress on the case using an actual corkboard. But for the redesign today, we're just going to dump all the decisions that we made about the mechanics for Norlandia and start over just with the basic goals and themes of the game. So where Questlandia is about these collapsing kingdoms, Noirlandia is about these collapsing cities that are uh, falling apart under the weight of their own corruption and putting pressure on the protagonists and constantly testing their principles. So we had brought some of the mechanics for Questlandia into Noirlandia when we designed it. But today, we're going to be throwing all of those mechanics out and just rebuilding the game from the ground up just based on themes. Yeah, there were a few different themes that were being explored in Norlandia. For me, the foremost of those was thinking about the principled characters being sort of degraded or pressured by a corrupt society. Mm -hmm. So in Norlandia, you know, everybody as part of the character creation process has to have a principle that they hold to. It might be they never lie or they never physically harm another person, but whatever it is, it's going to be tested by this society because it hates anybody who holds a personal principle. Mm -hmm. Another theme that we were exploring in Noirlandia was this idea of how corrupt societies form and decay, you know, where in a society that like rot takes over, uh, maybe at first it's kind of beneath the surface and then suddenly it's just like has, you know, reached out its uh, corrupt tentacles and it just takes the entire city under and crushes it. And for a game about a murder... It was important to me that the murderer 
was not just an isolated crime of passion has nothing to do with anything. One of the themes of the game is that there are systemic problems that filter downwards to a personal level and cause a crime. And so in this one, you start with the crime and as you play, the level that you're understanding it in grows larger and larger and will take you all across the city and you'll learn how it's all connected. So, you know, not just uh, violence for the sake of violence, but looking at violence as the result of, you know, this systemic, uh, systemic problems. Yeah, I was really uh, jamming on the Chinatown feeling. Yeah. And finally, also related to uh, really liking Chinatown, the game did not necessarily end with the players solving the mystery. And it had no way to deal justice to whoever did the crime. So one of the themes is about finding the truth being important, even without justice. Yeah. So the idea that, you know, I mean, I guess you sort of win the game. Like the original has these mechanical, like this mechanical way of winning when you have found the who did it, how and why, but it doesn't mean that you feel good about that answer in the end. Well, it does, or, you know, the original, it does have a fail state too. You know, you can actually just lose it and never find out who did the crime. That's that is true. That's one of the true. ways the original can end. That's true. But the goal of the original is to find the truth, but it's not to find inner peace with that truth. Yeah. So rather than going into detail about exactly what mechanics were working in the game and which weren't, we're going to start fresh. So we were making this game without feeling bound to any of the decisions we made in the actual published version. So Evan, before we jump into a brainstorm, I kind of want to distill this down because two episodes ago, we talked about what it looks like to find the emotional core of a game. Uh, which is connected to theme, but it's not necessarily theme. Like themes, themes and emotional core can be different. You can have themes of like uh, justice or a theme of war, and that can look really different depending on what the emotional core is. So mm -hmm. if you were going to say what you thought the emotional core of Norlandia was, I would love to like hear what that is, and then we can build out this brainstorm and just redesign this whole game from there. I feel like the emotional core of Norlandia is a feeling of love and admiration for the people who hold their principles and hold on to their pursuit of truth in a society that is hostile to them. I think that's a really good emotional core. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So do you feel like, is that like the the emotional core that you'll be holding in your mind as we brainstorm what this new version of the game could look like? I'm going to do that. Okay. Yes, yes it so will. So <laughs> the way, so an admiration and appreciation for people who hold on to their principles despite society putting pressures on them or sort of grinding them down. Mm -hmm. Cool. 
that's what I'll yeah. keep in my head as well. That's the heart of this game. You know, it's sort of um, religious sounding. <laughs> oh, yeah? In what you know, way? it's like, hold on to your purity. <laughs> hold on to your truth, despite the corruption and sin around you. <laughs> Do you think about that hmm. at all? I hadn't thought of it that way. I don't want it to be coming down so hard on uh, on reality, saying like everything <laughs> is filth except for your own truth. Um, part of the original game is that you all get to meet each other. It's not like you're all detectives on the case. You're just people who care about it. Mm -hmm. And in the course of the investigation, you find each other and you can help each other or support each other. And it's, you know, it's not a world without allies or goodness in it. So it's like principled without being moralistic. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to begin the process of designing this, this game, let's call it Norlandia, <laughs> we're going to begin with a brainstorm of the kinds of mechanics or materials or even just like visions of moments that could happen in this game. Just throwing all our thoughts down on paper so that we can look at them and start to evaluate which ones might fit, which ones will best fit the core or the themes. Would you say that we're brainstorming materials, mechanics, moments, and moods? I I would read that from our notes and then say it. Because <laughs> it's yeah, four it ended M's, up so catchy, <laughs> which sounds so nice. All right, it's so a good, trademark, wait, what's, trademark, what's trademark. What's the word? What's the word for uh, alliteration? No, but the other one. Assonance. Uh, no, the other one. <laughs> you know, like uh, NASA. <laughs> Or, uh, or the the NBA, an acronym. Uh, acronym. It's an acronym. Thank you. This would just be an acronym for. Mmm. Oh, this is still a good one, though. <laughs> yeah, but like if you say mmm to somebody, they don't mm, know how many I, M's to write down. They might know. write down six. You could say like four mmm. Four. <laughs> <laughs> I could Four. say that. <laughs> mm, mm. Squared. Wait, no. Squared is two. Mm, mm, to mm, the fourth. And an mm in each corner of a square. Mm, 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 mm. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. There we go. You can never okay. forget that. Anyway, so is, we're going to be discussing. High level, <laughs> high level stuff. <laughs> We're going to be discussing materials, mechanics, moments, and moods in this brainstorm, the four M's that we came up with and are clearly very excited about. So if if we weren't on a podcast at this moment, I would say just throw out whatever, any of the categories, whatever order, don't worry about it. Yeah, we'd be like, it's got a cork board. Here's a cool moment. Here's a mood. It's sad. I'm just a There's little worried dice. that uh, <laughs> as something to listen to, that might just sound insane. So <laughs> uh, 
What about, well, my way is just, yeah, we'll do a few of each category and we won't get lost in this brainstorm forever. Cool. So let's start with materials. What kind of materials at the table would be nice to have in this game? So I'll say that I know that we're throwing out everything from the old game, but, you know, obviously the old game exists, so it's going to be hard for me to not be thinking about it. I think that this game should have a cork board. I think using a cork board in a mystery game is really cool. Uh, I think it's really thematic. And like, I think it's both a really good material and... I don't know. It's just really cool. It like it hits all of the four. It hits the four M's. Like it hits not just the materials, but like it's mechanically relevant. It leads to cool moments and tracking places and, you know, putting you actively on the case and being able to visualize places you went. And it sets a mood that's familiar to the genre. I'm convinced. Let's bring back the cork board. All right, so we got a cork board. You know, that comes with some accessories. Like, if we have a cork board, I want there to be stuff that you're pinning up to it. And I want that stuff to be interesting. It shouldn't just be text. Like, I want it to have pictures, at least sometimes. (laughs) It would be great if it was a mix. That would be the ideal. It's like newspaper clippings, a photo of a suspect. And, of course, there's got to be red string tying everything together. Mm, So, like... It's not just the cork board. We also have a need for ephemera. Right. So another material that I want to have on the table is some kind of randomizer. I'm thinking dice or cards that generate different results to the case. When you're investigating, you don't know how well it's going to go. And so Mm -hmm. the randomizer makes it unpredictable. And also to help you generate the city as a whole and all the clues and leads that you're getting. I want there to be a way to, I don't want people to have to come up with all that on their own. Mm -hmm. I'm honestly not sure at this point whether dice are better suited to that, dice and tables or cards. So let's just add them both to the list. Let's add them. And, you know, that's our next level when uh, when Noirlandia is the game we're redesigning on Design Dog. <laughs> okay, so here's one that I think would be really cool. I feel like in the original Noirlandia, we could have kind of pushed the corkboard a lot further than we did. I think it would be really cool if when you pinned things up, uh, there were either color-coded or like color and symbol-coded pins or markings for giving you a really quick visual about like, you know, you look over the cork board and it's not just your murder mystery board. It's also like a map of the city and it Mm. tells you who the suspects are and who like you can really quickly look and see like, okay, that marking means a suspect. That is a, uh, and a mysterious object. That's a place that we visited. Um, I think that's really cool. It would be great in that version of the cork board if there were some things pinned up to it that were face down. So we just like, we know there's a clue there, but we don't know what it is yet. So we have to uncover it and flip it face up. Oh, that's really cool too. Because in the original, you know, it never happened like that. You would always sort of come up with the clue and you'd put it in the location. But I like sort of seeding the board with a few things where you're like, we got a tip that there's something 
in, you know, the outskirts of town. And eventually we're going to visit that place. But for now, it's this face down clue. Any other materials? Um, It's a little sort of obvious to say, perhaps, but I like character sheets for this one. There's a few different parts of the characters that I want to have there. And I want you to be looking at your character, seeing them degrade as the case wears them down. And I want it to be a strong reminder of your principle, too. I want you to always Mm -hmm. be looking at that and thinking about it and having opportunities to break it. You know, when we're talking about the emotional core of this game being so centered around principles, I could really imagine a character sheet that has your name kind of small and your principle right below it. And that's like the biggest thing on the character sheet. Yeah, I was honestly thinking about like, could it be, uh, (laughs) could it be something that you physically break to break your principle? It's not just on your character sheet. There's some object in front of you. Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like all of the associated risks. Something that you could uh, you could bend or break. (laughs) Oh, that's yeah, yeah. I like that. It could be a pencil. You have to snap your pencil in half. (laughs) Oh, I really like that. I like the physicality of it. Yeah, so it would be like you know, really small at the top. It would say. Manny Calavera, but then really big below it would say your principal, which is I don't know what What's Manny, Manny Calavera's principal. Hmm. All right, we're bleeding over to this topic anyway, so let's just switch over to mechanics. Great. Uh, breaking your principal. Definitely, I want that to be a mechanic. I definitely want it to be something that is beneficial in the moment, but harmful in the long run. Uh, being able to pin things up to the corkboard. Yeah. Good mechanic. I don't want that to be freeform, you know? Like, I want it to be mechanically driven. Like, now we get to put up a clue. Now we get to flip over something or tie a string. I think those should definitely all be mechanically driven. I think having a mechanical way to destroy leads, you know, to kill people, to burn places to the ground, it's pretty satisfying. Definitely. That's, for, that's a good uh, mood. A lot of good know, moments in there. I want for that. For the, the vase that is the million dollar vase to go missing that was so crucial to solving the case. Like, you know, that's some spicy mystery stuff. I want the answer to the case to be mechanically arrived at you know it's really important like when does that answer come what does it mean to to have an answer like at what point do you have enough information that you say this case is solved Mm -hmm. because just saying you know old man marcus did it doesn't really tell you the whole story Mm -hmm. all right so here's a mechanical thing that I don't want to get too deep into, but original Noirlandia had sometimes kind of a pacing thing where everybody kind of knew the answer and they were like, oh, we're ready. Like we are ready to deliver all of the answers to this case. The case is open and shut. But like the mechanics of the game would push, would continue to push the story on. And like, you know, it would maybe be six more turns before you could actually 
give the answers that everybody was waiting to. So I would love a way mechanically to like when everybody agrees that you've all converged on the answers to have a way to like jump to the final phase. I like that too. So giving giving players some control over the pacing. Yeah. You know, to some extent or to the right. full extent. <laughs> Whatever. Go nuts. You only want to play one turn of this game? Open and shut. I feel like I want to have a way to mechanically represent your investigation. So I want you to be able to uncover stuff. And I'd love for that to have multiple possibilities, multiple outcomes simultaneously. It's not always like, am I going to find a single clue in this room? It would be cool if sometimes you had a breakthrough. You came up with four clues and two connections or whatever. Oh, that's a really cool. successful investigation. Yeah. And that and makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's how it is. I would love for the results of your investigation to not feel entirely random. Like they're unpredictable, but if you were clever or persistent or putting a lot on the line, you'll be more likely to succeed. I like that a lot. Uh and I think that's really important, you know, in that a game that so that so relies on people creatively making some of their own connections to tell the story that it's not, you know, that it's not just random, that you are rewarded by your in, you know, your level of sort of focus and investment. And, you know, that that some things let you point to the answer excitedly when it is right there in front of everybody. Mm hmm. Cool. So let's talk about moments. Yeah. If you could imagine just, you know, five second scenes from the stories of Norlandia, what would be a good moment to see? A moment that I tend to really like in noir that I would love to see in Noirlandia is when somebody has to make an impossible choice. Like, you know, you have to make a choice between revealing the location of your partner to the underworld boss uh, or to let the underworld boss get away again with your abducted brother. But like, you have to make the call. Like, do you give up your partner or do you let the boss slip away? And now you're it's one like step super further. Super intense, narratively laden moments. I like it. Uh, and, you know, old Norlandia had this mechanic of bargains, and I feel like this is kind of, you know, the, the bargain that I would want to see is impossible choices. Um, I feel like those things are sometimes legitimately hard to come up with on the fly, you know, so I feel like mm -hmm. the game would have to set up like uh, something that the old one didn't do. You'd have to like lay out maybe a few things you cared about at the beginning, like you'd in addition to your principle, maybe you'd write down a few stakes or a few things that were on the line. Like, you know, some people have families that they want to come back to. Some don't. <laughs> yeah, but, so you know, some different... kind of mechanic for what's important to your character. And then having to make choices between those two important things. Another moment I really want to see is the killer striking again. Mm, classic. Like, well, just like the feeling that like your 
you're fighting against something that's dynamic and living and dangerous. And it's not just like a dry old case that we're piecing together a hundred years afterwards. Yeah, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. I'll also throw out, even though it's probably clear from what we've already said, but the moment where somebody breaks their principle to get some element of the truth in this case to get a part of the answer, definitely a moment I want to be a part of the game. I think that's great. And I mean, that starts to answer. I feel like this is where we go from kind of breaking this game down into its themes to where you can actually start to imagine what like the game design parts look like, because we're like, here's this emotional core of the game, like people having their principles challenged in this corrupt world. And a moment I want to see is someone breaking their principle to getting to be able to get a clue, which is also a mechanic. Definitely. Cool. (laughs) Got to figure out the mechanics to make these moments happen. Well, yeah, it's all, it's the trickle down, the the, the trickle down M's. (laughs) You know, in retrospect, I feel like maybe, maybe we should reorder these M's because moments and moods seems like a great starting place. But Mm. here we are. Mm -hmm. Let's wrap up with some moods. All right. A mood. I want one mood to be this like agonizing silence and concentration as everybody looks at the cork board and it's just full of all these lines and pictures and they're all just like how does it all fit oh that's cool i like this i like that on this extra level of like you know sometimes silence in role-playing games is kind of you know it it feels a little stressful in a way that the game doesn't specifically call out as okay Mm, yeah. You know, games are like, take a few minutes to look at your character sheet and you know, design a little bit more about your character. And you're like, okay, what does a few minutes actually mean? Is that actually a few, like three, but this person looks done. Everybody's looking at me. <laughs> so yeah, having the game make trouble. This, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, look at the character or look at the corkboard for a few minutes. When you feel done, shift your eyes around. Yeah. Squint your eyes at the other players. Take a drag from your cigar. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I mean, a mood that I would like to see in Norlandia is a a little bit of a mood of despair. At least at some point. Like I, I want the experience of feeling like you've hit rock bottom. At some mm-hmm. point. And I do feel like I want the characters, even if they don't get justice, to come back up again from the bottom. Like, I I don't feel like I want it to be a game that specifically says, like, everybody is going to get emotionally destroyed and they're not going to come back. Like, that may <laughs> happen. I don't, I don't want the game to sort of require it, but I do want to see the, yeah, you know, the darkest self moment. Uh, but kind of the noir darkest self, like, you know, it, the monster hearts darkest self. Sometimes that's when you get a lot of things accomplished. Like that's when you go werewolf. The noir darkest self feels like a little bit more just like being real depressed. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of that that moment sometimes coming when you're just just beaten down by the case. You had a promising lead. You had everything in order. And then you find out the house is burned down, the lead has been murdered, 
and you got beat up for your trouble. Mm -hmm. Just feels like a cla and then it starts raining. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's another place where it's like I could see a mechanic. Like we have this mood of you being absolutely, absolutely at the bottom, and then there's this mechanic that's like, and now what bumps you down one rung further? <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. There's like this, you know, this list of, there's this table that's like, and then it starts mm -hmm. raining. And then someone shows up you. from your dark past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. One more mood. The yeah. sort of the opposite of that first one, the investigation and confusion of looking at the cork board. I want the other side of that where we have a revelation we realize mm. how it's all connected. We say, oh, this was, it was all done for a purpose. There's a pattern behind it all. And we, the conspiracy is revealed. I like it. Yeah. Everybody at the table is just looking at each other going, oh, this goes up to the very top. <laughs> oh, that's such <laughs> a good moment. I mean, I love that moment in the moment in role-playing games where everyone is both surprised together and it makes perfect sense is like the, I mean, those are the best moments I feel like you can have. Yeah. I want You're some like, of those. Of course it was Mr. Muggles all along. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? But it makes so much sense. Okay. So at this point, we have a whole bunch of rough ideas laid down things that we can pull from. You want to draft up the whole game? Let's draft up the game. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about making a first draft of the game. And again, like this is an exercise. We're not necessarily going to be redesigning Norlandia, but we just kind of wanted to walk through what it could look like to have like themes and an emotional core in mind and to like quickly iterate a game from there. And even though a lot of what we're doing isn't feasible for players of Questlandia 2 to do, I'm hopeful that there's some way to bring some of this spirit and this kind of design into the worlds that you go into. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about that a little bit at the end, you know, like out of everything that we broke down here, what could players bring in and, you know, mechanically sort of prototype out at the table in a scene in Questlandia 2 without, without us there. So with that in mind, let's make a quick draft of this Noirlandia redesign. The goal of this first draft is just to make something that can be playtested. So just like a minimum viable rule set that we could actually sit down, play out some scenes, and find out if any of the stuff we've put into this draft is working. Mm -hmm. There's also some basic goals that we'll have for designing this game or any game, really. It's got to be easy to learn, easy to read. Like it can't be a game where you have to spend weeks preparing. That's just not, not the style I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah. The individual actions that you take, the mechanics that you're using, should be simple. It's just how they combine with each other and interact with the story as you've made it that gives it depth and complexity. I agree. Do you want to say any of these goals or should I go through them all? 
I think that one of our other basic goals for any game is having a lot of really good tools for a guided role play rather than just saying like, all right, we've given you, you know, this is how to play the game now, role play. It has sort of tools for overcoming that awkwardness or that creative block or for keeping the scene flowing when you feel a little stuck. It's especially important if this game doesn't have a game master who has a whole job of keeping the action moving. Yeah, which I don't even know if we mentioned that, but, you know, Norlandia is a GM-less game and uh, that adds a lot of extra responsibility to every player. Yeah. I don't know if the redesign has a GM or not. That's true. (laughs) But in either case, we want some easy tools to get over the creative hump and Mm -hmm. make fun stories. I want the game to be as immersive as possible. Like, I want you to just feel like you're there, broken in that alleyway as the rain trickles down from the rooftops. You are staring at that corkboard and you're like, how does it all come together? And you just feel this mix of hopelessness uh, and chaos until like, aha, that one lead that just changes it all. And of course, the basic and sort of top level goal of everything is to hit the themes. It should, if we're going to tell a story about broken principles in a corrupt society, that's got to be the guiding light that we use to figure out what mechanics are working and which aren't. Is it bringing it closer to that or further away? Yeah. That's the thing that we pin, you know, to our corkboard as we're designing this game. Right in the middle. (laughs) What is the emotional core and are we always converging onto it, towards it? (laughs) All right. Let's make the draft. All right. Okay, so we've agreed on a corkboard, and we've agreed that there are things that get pinned to the corkboard, and that we think it would be cool to have some clues. So what gets pinned to the corkboard, and maybe like when mechanically and how might that happen in the game? So in the interest of making it as simple as possible, you know, I want a variety of things to be pinned to that board. So let's just imagine that we have a deck of things that you can pin to the board. Cool. That's the stuff. It's going to have all sorts of different illustrations on it. I think those things will be somewhat loose. Like you can interpret them to fit them into your specific city and setting. So it might be a weapon, but we don't Mm. know. You get to say what that weapon actually is in your society. Cool. I like it. So there's going to be these cards that have something like a weapon on them, and those cards can get pinned to the board. And I feel like we pin them up. The when question is when your investigation succeeds to some extent. That's what I was going to (laughs) say. Also, at the very beginning of the game, it's important to start with a few clues. Yeah. I mean, seeding, seeding that corkboard with a few, I think, is both important kind of like thematically and getting a sense of what your city is like and how it works. And then, you know, it also just gives you some things to start with. When do you think we should tie that string between the clues? I think it's fair to say that, again, when you have succeeded in 
something in your investigation. And at the same time, I do want to kind of challenge the idea that like sometimes everybody knows that like it's time to tie the string and I don't really know how to, you know, there's like, there's a tension there that I don't know how to solve. So let's imagine that there's two ways then, and this might overlap with some other stuff we've been saying. There's the investigation way where Mm -hmm. just because of the exact moment of investigation that you're doing, you make a new connection. But then there's a different way that comes from a sort of consensus of the players. And this might be a resource that players all sort of get as the game goes, where we can spend it to say, like, we have an idea for a connection that we can put together even without an investigation. It's just become clear to us. Oh, that's cool. I can even imagine in sort of the noir spirit that it's like a lucky penny or something. Oh, yeah. And there's this point where you can flip your lucky penny in. All right. Well, let's start with that. Let's just say let's just say everybody starts with a lucky penny. Great. In this draft. Lucky penny lets you make a connection where there wasn't one before. All right. All right. So, there's a murder mystery happening. Uh, there is a that murder should probably mystery have some rules to it (laughs) uh who's the victim well i think the victim is somebody that everybody should have a connection to and care about in some way yeah for sure we want everybody to really care in the original noirlandia we had this thing where you generate characters and if there's like a four-player game you generate five characters And everybody kind of picks the character that seems most interesting, and the unchosen fifth character becomes the victim. I like that still. I'm with you. Let's keep it. It has a nice moment because you actually get to see somebody die. It's not like they were always dead. In fact, you were putting yourself in their shoes for a moment as you decide which character you're interested in playing. And you're like, I could have chosen them. And if I did, they'd be alive. Exactly. And yet the powder-wigged heiress is now, you know, on the floor at the bottom of the staircase, and nobody knows how she got there. Okay. So we have a victim. They're made as a part of the character selection process, and we'll come up with a quick draft of that shortly. But before we do, let's tackle one of the big ones, which is how do we solve the case? Like, what's an investigation look like? Good question. (laughs) Right? Well, I mean, everybody has this shared goal of like, we want to solve this. Do you have a goal for your scene? Are there a certain number of steps you have to take? Where do you start? What's the very first thing you can do? I have no idea. (laughs) All right. So let me just think. What would feel good? It would feel good to investigate a place that we think there might be some answers. We talked before about having like face down clues. I feel like that would be a good way to sort of encourage people to investigate this area. It's like, oh, there's three face down clues in this part of the city. Mm. I'm going to snoop around there. I feel like I could get something out of it. That's cool. So maybe there's multiple face down clues that are getting pinned to the board somehow. And the process of investigation is going to give us a chance to flip those upright. Mm -hmm. 
I think that one thing that's sort of essential in the game, that's a, a balance to strike, is making sure that at any point, if there are red herrings or if there are clues that remain unconnected, that weren't you know relevant after all, that there are never too many of them. Because like once the thing is in your head, like once that uh, wax sealed letter is in your head for it then to be irrelevant, like that's that only really works once. Right. And after that kind of the immersion starts to dissolve, like, oh, the wax sealed letter didn't matter. The trained monkey didn't matter. <laughs> the I'm with re- you. Yeah. The reproduction painting didn't matter. Where what are we doing? <laughs> But that doesn't really help to answer your question of like, what do you do to investigate the case? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this. I want to think about a number of things here. I guess it would be good to break this down into smaller pieces because it's such a big question. So we're going to talk about investigations. The investigation has certain things you can bring to it to increase your odds. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, even before then, I think there's also a step of choosing what you want to investigate. It would be mm-hmm. nice for that to be an interesting choice and you're not just automatically dragged to one place or another. Just like you can stack advantages to do better in your investigation, it feels natural that there be a sort of sliding scale of difficulty of how hard it will be to get these answers. Yeah. And then Finally, there is the contest between your advantages and the difficulty that's stacked against you. And that contest will determine the outcomes. Maybe it's just one, but we've talked before about it possibly doing multiple things, getting lots of clues. And I guess one more part of it that I want to sneak in is the idea that you can break your principle to do better. I'm not sure where that will be. Mm-hmm. But that's got to be a part of it. Does that this all make something, sense? Yeah. I, I feel like something I've struggled with in our games is figuring out how to scale difficulty. Do you have any thoughts on like, you know, when you're approaching a challenge, like what what might scale the difficulty of this part of the investigation? Like, is it just that it's easier at first and harder? I mean, I guess if we're talking about a mystery it's it doesn't match to have it be like easier at first and then harder and harder and harder as you go it's really that it's like sort of easy to get started then it gets really complicated then you think something got, came together but then that was a red herring then it suddenly all falls you know into place right at the very end yeah it's tricky to try to hit all these notes luckily we don't have to with this draft We just have to make a sort of gesture towards them. I mean, I guess you could have, you could sort of seed the field in the beginning, like just how like you're going to start with a few clues and leads and stuff on the board. You can have uh, a boss at the top or some sort of threat at the top that is yet to be revealed. And there's this cascade of threats underneath it. And, you know, there's this point at which you're like, okay, we know that we're just dealing with the lackeys here. Yeah, I think one way to, to talk about that would just be sort of like your notoriety in the case. As the conspiracy becomes aware of you and your efforts, 
the things oh, they like do that. to try to stop you get stepped up. Yeah, they're sending out the bigger, the bigger and the bigger guns, <laughs> the batter right. and the batter ba- baddies. <laughs> and the police are in their pocket. They control the weather machine, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be throwing more and more at you. Cool. I like that. So, you know, sort of as you move from district to district, if that's something that we were to have in this game, uh, the odds become increasingly stacked against you as your notoriety increases. A tricky thing to try to involve as an advantage that you can take is a particular bit of cleverness. Because then what are the players being clever about? Let's not worry about that yet. Maybe there'll be opportunities for cleverness that come as a result of these other things. <laughs> yeah, cleverness is always a tricky one. You know, rewarding. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I would say dumb luck is actually a great reason to have an advantage. Let's say that you can use that lucky penny to get an advantage. Great. Uh, I think another potential advantage that could work uh, to your well, advantage in the case would be if you are investigating a district that you have a special connection to. Mm. You know, I mean, yeah, maybe so you're a, like really a part of the city that you have a, an affiliation or something that you can choose at the beginning. You know, you are uh, a longtime patron of the motocross bar. And when you go there, you're going to get some special advantages. And it just so happens that, you know, the bartender saw something. This is sort of tricky, but I kind of want you to get an advantage from being beaten down in the case. In a certain sense, I want it to be like you have less and less to lose. And so you become more and more forceful in your investigation. I think that totally works. At the same time, I do want that to be a disadvantage in a different way. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how yet, but I do want it yeah. to matter that you got beaten up or that you're heartbroken. I I like that there are certain things you can do when you're at the end of your rope, but there are consequences for getting to that place. Yeah, as I said that out loud, I'm, I'm questioning it. <laughs> Maybe it can just be a totally good thing. That you got beaten up, thrown out of a window, it started raining, and a dog bit you. And like, it's a great scene, and you're like, oh man, <laughs> I'm going to be so good in my next scene. It's interesting. I mean, that's that's a, it's a really strong, it's a really specific design choice, because it is, it feels like a little bit on the superhero end of noir. Like, yeah, I got beaten to a pulp. I am barely conscious. This is when I can kick the most ass. <laughs> it's, you know, it definitely is saying yeah, something that about- That might be a little uh, bit too direct, but I certainly <laughs> want being damaged to be a part of the story and an important mm-hmm. part and a gratifying part. Cool. I agree with that. Okay. So we have a few different rough ideas down. There's choosing where you want to investigate. We're going to say there's going to be face down leads on the board. You want to head towards ones that seem like they'd be particularly good. Maybe they have something to do with your personal character's district. Maybe there's just a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. You're going to take advantages with you. That might be dumb luck. 
It might be some of the hardships you've gone through and having less to lose. It might be and a might snappy be, suit. Right. It might be special tools or skills that you're bringing. At the same time, there's going to be something working against you. That might look like being wrapped up in a conspiracy. They're, they know about you. They're trying to stop you. It could also be related to how ambitious you're being in this investigation. If I'm trying to investigate three clues at once, that might be tougher. Mm -hmm. So then we want to have that contest of these advantages and disadvantages. Any thoughts about what that should look like? No. <laughs> Let's start with something dumb and simple and see where that leaves us. Let's say you get a die for each advantage you're bringing and every disadvantage that's stacked against you brings an opposing die. That's fair. We, we roll them at each other. Whichever die is higher wins. Mm -hmm. On a win, you get one of the rewards. On a loss, you take a loss, one of whatever the losses are. And if there's more of one kind of die than the other, those are auto wins. If I brought four advantages and there's only two disadvantages, two things are going to go right, two things are in contest. Cool. Okay. It's I like simple. That. I don't know if it'll have any uh if it'll have anything to do with what we end up with in the end, but at least we can stack our advantages like we wanted. So do you feel like at this point, you know, if we were gonna meet up tomorrow, do we have something playtestable? Well, I think we're missing the design of our characters and our city. Mm-hmm. We'd want to have some way to do that. At the same time, we could skip ahead of it to some extent. We could choose a city we want to explore. We could just say, it's New York City. How it gets made in the final game, we'll figure out later. And we could choose characters. Just I'm shaggy. That we want from fiction. Yeah, absolutely you are. You're the avatar. Let's go. <laughs> I believe we can solve the case. <laughs> I kind of like that way of working because I feel like something that we've had the easiest time with has been making mechanics for making worlds and characters. And something we've had the hardest time with is how to sort of put those in motion. So I like the idea of starting with the motion and then reverse engineering the you know, world creation and character creation bits a little bit. I feel like I could start playing this. We didn't explicitly say what the rewards or penalties are for your investigation, but I think we have already mentioned just about everything that would be there. Mm -hmm. Finding new clues, making new connections, um, having existing clues get destroyed, having the uh, opposition become more aware of you and taking damage to your character being in terrible situations. Yeah. I feel like we could jump in with just like kind of a deck of hastily made cards that have some, you know, some baddies and some weapons and mysterious objects on them and then kind of tweak it from there. 
All right. I'm with you. I think we could. We can play this. <laughs> so if we were going to continue from here, we could jump into a play test. We can sketch in the parts that are missing, the city, the characters, and immediately jump into some scenes and see how the mechanics we've talked about already actually play out. Which ones are close? Which ones do we need to scrap completely? Yeah. So in terms of this as an exercise, you know, breaking down a game or maybe starting from a game that doesn't exist and just starting from like the emotional core of a thing, whether it's a game mm -hmm. of your own design or whether you know you want to make a Star Wars inspired game and you want to shed as much as you can that you know about existing Star Wars games and just start with the emotional core of Star Wars. What do you think we did here that we could use in the development of Questlandia 2? And then I'm going to also ask as a second question, like what did we do here that would help to like empower players to do, to bring their own like mechanical design to a game? But I'll start with the first question. Like what, what do you feel like you took away from this? This is similar to what we talked about a couple episodes ago when we talked about the idea of an emotional core. But this was a reminder for me that the themes are not the deepest level of a game. There's something underneath that. There's a reason that you're interested in those concepts. It's really helpful to have that in mind. Yeah. You know, even at the beginning of this episode, like looking back on our notes, I feel like I was still really mixing up theme and emotional core. And like that I went into this thinking about the themes and I had to be reminded as we talked that like emotional core was really what I should keep in mind. And, and with themes as sort of secondary and supporting that emotional core. It, it was legitimately fun to drop the past and just come up with mechanics that just seem cool without having to worry about how does it all fit together? Could it possibly work? How expensive would it be to produce any of that? One thing that I thought was kind of cool was how much some of the ideas that I had for mechanics started to fall into place when I started instead with the moments and the moods. It's nice to just get this vision of a good mood at the table. Yeah. It just and then, it sort of, you know, tells you where to steer. Yeah. So then you're like asking the question second of like, how do we get there mechanically? And I think both are valid. Like, I think that there is a lot to be said for starting with a mechanic. So I, I don't want to like be dismissive of that because I think, I think sometimes that is genuinely like the way to start making a game is you just like start with the framework or start with apocalypse world and see if that fits the mood and the emotional core. Cause it's really hard to start from nothing. So I don't want to like, I don't know. I don't want to be, you know, treating that, uh, more I don't want to dismiss that I wouldn't I would never argue that what we're doing here is the right way to design a game I think <laughs> it's just it's a way it's a it's way just, it's, it's an approach and it has some advantages and disadvantages one of the disadvantages of it is that the mechanics are obviously still a far way from being complete there's a lot of mystery to resolve 
in playtesting the game and throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks over and over. Oh, yeah. And like, I mean, inevitably, when you actually sit down to your first playtest, you realize just how much is missing. <laughs> so I want to go into my second question, which is what could we potentially bring in from this process into Questlandia 2, which is this game where we're trying to give players some agency over the things that they bring into the game. You know, I mean, this is like a pretty open-ended process and it's maybe a little at odds with some of our goals of like really wanting to uh, have the rules be like a gentle hug that are always really helping you and really walking you through. But are there things that we did that you feel like, you know, connect to this idea of letting players design some of their own mechanics? You know, when I said earlier, it would be nice if people's principles were represented by like an actual material on the table and they can bend it or break it as they go. It would be so yes. cool if you could have that kind of conversation with a specific world you're exploring in Questlandia 2. Yeah, that one really stuck out to me also. Um, it made me think back to one of our really early weird episodes about plumbobs and like what it would look like to have weird materials in Questlandia 2. And it made me think that like, you know, when we've talked about flexibility and mechanics design, a lot of it is like, have the thing have a consistent effect. Like the effect is that this is your like, you know, this is your this is your animal familiar or this is your lucky token. But within that, like, you know, it has this list of effects and like as a player then, you just get to design a ton of the other stuff that it does. Uh narratively and maybe even mechanically. I mean, games do this all the time. Like all, all of pretty much all of the apocalypse worlds all of the Apocalypse World games will have you, you know, pick from a list of moves. And like, some of them you end up doing, some of them you can't. Like, that's that's sort of you making some mechanical choices that the game has guided you into. Mm-hmm. I agree that the structure of how you use this material, you'd want some good guidance on it. You don't want to make something where you're just worried that it's going to destroy the balance of the game. But at the same time, if we're in a world full of earthbenders, like being able to put clay on the table, it'd be like, we're going to shape this as we go through the world and it's going to have some effect on the mechanics of it would be so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, going into this, I thought that this was maybe kind of a wild idea, but the more that I think about this, the more that I'm like, games are asking this of players all the time in a lot of different ways, whether that's, you know, on a seven to nine, choose are the, you know, visions uh, lucid or are they confusing? Those aren't the as results. As long as but... the... As long as the choice of special mechanics for your world is a structured choice where we've given you support and reasonable options to use, I think it could absolutely be a part of the play. Mm -hmm. I also want to mention that 
during our brainstorm, we talked about moods and moments. I can imagine those being a great thing to have when you're going into a new world. To just see a vision of a moment that might happen in this world. Oh, yeah. Or like a mood that might get explored. And we don't know when or how we're going to get there. But we all have that as something that we can look forward to. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as much as I uh, find, you know, our four M's, like there's always something a little bit cringy about alliteration. I I also really like them. And like, I'm probably going to pin them up to my wall. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) To my game design wall. Put it on the cork board. It's going up on my cork board. You know, Questlandia is already taking a part of role-playing games that's often pre-packaged and opening it up to the players. And that's the design of the worlds that they're exploring. And it's not homework. It's a part of the game. It's part of the play of it, is making these fantastic worlds together and piecing it together and making ideas and changing it as you go. I think that we could do the same thing to some extent with designing the mechanics for these worlds, where coming up with some unique mechanics that make the way you play in a specific world different isn't homework. It's part of the play. It's a pleasure to come up with them. Mm -hmm. And it really is. As we go through this process and think about like smashing little crystalline principle baubles (laughs) <laughs> snapping the principal pencil. It's a good time. It's, yeah. it's a legitimately a time that I would love to have with friends at a table. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. So what do we close with? So when is this redesign of Norlandia going to be released? Fall 2019. <laughs> Great. No backsies. <laughs> Right, you know, just right alongside with Questlandia. It would, let's do a double feature. Are we actually proposing a serious uh, second edition or new release of Norlandia, Evan? What do you think? I mean, when we wrote this down as a note, my answer was definitely no. But this was real fun. So let's put a tentative no. <laughs> a tentative. All right, I like it. I'm. I'm... I'm game to, you know, not promise without saying that it's never going to happen. So we know that this episode is a little bit out of order. Our next episode is going to be about Kickstarter, uh, but we wanted to leave a little bit more time to take, leave a little more time to take questions from the community about uh, kickstarting a role-playing game, because we know that that's something that a lot of people have questions about expect that next. And up on Twitter, you know, we're going to ask for those questions. So please ask us what you want to hear about. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode and this style of creating a game, or, you know, a feeling of anger that this game won't be available anytime soon, (laughs) get in touch with us. You can email us at designdocpod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as designdocpod. So we'll see you back in a few weeks for an episode all about running a role-playing game Kickstarter and how we're going to try to make the Questlandia Kickstarter 
our most ambitious and also most scaled back Kickstarter yet. The Design Doc intro-outro theme was composed by our friend, musician Pat King. Thanks, Pat. The Design Doc Podcast is part of the OneShot Podcast Network. OneShot hosts other great shows like Asians Represent. Asians Represent celebrates Asian creators and diversity in the gaming community. Join the hosts Agatha Chang and Daniel Kwan as they discuss gaming, genre, and representation with their guests and occasionally argue with each other to the sound of Agatha's beloved Airhorn app. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back in two weeks. As always, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon, heroes. Mm -hmm.